Welcome back to Mark's Ooh. Madness. Yeah, all right. Take two. We got it. Uh, doing we got it. We're doing it again. Doing it again. All right, guys. Welcome back to Mark's Madness. This is Nathan and David coming at you once more on the ones and twos, reading books and whatnot. I don't know why we're doing the intro this way. This is this is off the rails. I don't know. We're off the rails already, gang. Sounds like you're a DJ in a 90s radio I, I I had to suppress my instincts to, you know, those 90s radio DJ instincts that I have ingrained in me. Um, <laughs> From all those years of experience. Years just of your experience in the radio DJ industry. muscle memory. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. Um, <laughs> that being said, again, Mark's Madness Pod, we read books. The book we're reading is Black Reconstruction, but before we jump right back in, uh, David, any current events that we would like to talk about before we get started? Um, well, I guess, I mean, a little bit of, of updates. Obviously, things are still raging on in, in Colombia. Um, but uh, a little bit of update. We didn't actually say the name of the journalist who was fired from the Associated Press. No, we which, didn't, which is I, an oversight on our part, but here we are. Which it's is us. a, a, what a major expect? oversight. So, um, so anyway... Her name is Emily Wilder, and she was only employed there for like a month. Um, and one little detail that comes with naming her is that, uh, and I didn't realize at the time when we were talking about it, makes us all that more grotesque. She's Jewish. Oh, well, that's, so that's something. This was, you know, yeah, that's always something. So, uh, of course, you know, this positing of like, oh, my God, she cared about Palestinian humanity in college so she cannot be employed by the Associated Press because that makes, you know, uh, Israel bombing the AP building in Gaza okay. And, um, ooh, excuse me. Ooh. Oh, I just ate dinner and it was coming back to bite me. Uh, but anyway, uh, but it makes it all the more grotesque because this is an effort that, I mean, like most Zionism, right? There, there are a group, the largest Zionist group is an, a wealthy white evangelical group in the United States that is larger in mass than um, all Jews in the, the United States combined. Oh. So, you know, um, when you fire a Jewish person for for uh, uh, supporting Palestine in college at the behest of some right-wing evangelicals in college. Where was it? In Yale or Princeton? Something like that? Some mm, Ivy League Princeton school. sounds closer. Was, yeah, it was like a handful of college kids do, that were like their, their college Republicans or something yeah. um, whose social media account ex- explicitly like said some Nazi shit, of course, because, you know, they're college Republicans. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, when you do that, that's... Yeah, so when you do that, that's protecting people from anti-Semitism. Um, you know, obviously, clearly. Clearly. Um, so, yeah, just just big oversight there to, to not have uh, Emily's uh, name or or the uh, detail that she's Jewish in there. I'm um, pretty sure it had happened that thing. day as, as we Ridiculous. were recording, okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. cutting up some slack. Yeah, yeah, we were still learning details. Things were still in real time. I mean, the the other thing too, of course, is we were we were very happy about the ceasefire because we were uh, supporting Palestinians, especially Palestinians in Gaza, who were celebrating it and and they saw it as a good thing, and they should. And they knew the occupation was not going to turn around and end. And of course, not surprisingly, Israel has just kept up the attacks. Yep. Um, yep. The worst. Especially, you know, in East Jerusalem and, and everywhere else, right? Yep. Al- Al-Aqsa Mosque, all, it, all the hits. All the hits. But yeah, I but mean, that was, uh, it was basically the worst case scenario of what we had been talking about. Um, that it would, yeah. Israel would chalk it up as a PR way. Oh, no, ceasefire, and then get all the heat off of them because that's all it was. Oh, and then Biden got a bunch of credit. Yeah. <laughs> which which we were lambasting that day because we were already starting to see that narrative, uh, you know, make some headway that that Biden called Netanyahu and stopped it when he really blocked the UN measure five times right. and sent them billions of dollars in weapons as he always does, as he is wont to do. Yes, um, as he is wont to do. Was it only five billion? I thought it would be more than that. Come on, that seems cheap. We cutting Bibby off? What what's going on? <laughs> Come on now, buck up. Um. But yeah, so that I mean, it's it's only been a week. There there hasn't been any uh, new occurrences. There's been quite a heavy amount of current events going on. Um, I hate to glaze over a, a, a another white supremacist mass shooting, uh, but I'm still kind of figuring out the details on that. Yeah. 
myself that, that, that just happened just, today. Yeah. I think. Was that today yesterday. or yesterday? That yesterday. was today, wasn't it? Was it yesterday? Okay, yesterday. Um, so still trying to figure out the details on that one. And unfortunately, there are so many that we're becoming numb that is not all over the news. It is just kind of buried in the background underneath everything else because that is just the state we're in now. Yeah, no, that total completely desensitized to to mass shootings and things of that nature because they happen every other week. Yeah, it's it's a fun and exciting existential crisis to live in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that being said, anything else before we want to hop into the book? Uh, no, no, that's really it. Yeah, and again, not to say that there's not anything else happening in the world, but just things that 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 are worth talking about and that we have any sort of insight into. Uh, there we are. All right, and so we're starting on page four ninety five, uh, two or third paragraph down. Uh, the assets of the state of Georgia in eighteen sixty included six hundred million dollars of taxable property, besides stock in banks and railroads amounting to about eight hundred thousand dollars. The state debt in eighteen sixty one included nearly fifteen million dollars worth of currency, came to a total of eighteen million and thirty five thousand seven hundred fifty five. Georgia lost forty thousand of its white population during the war. Georgia clung. Uh, uh, apparently, my dinner is just attacking me. Uh, Georgia clung to slavery. Howell Cobb wrote in June 1865, "The institution of slavery, in my judgment, provided the best labor system that could be devised for the Negro race." Isn't that nice? Of him? Good for him. Um, yeah, uh, he had his capital invested in thousands of Negroes and hundreds of acres of land in the middle and southwestern Georgia. And that's, you know, important little note there. Uh, shouldn't be surprising. But racism is not just an innate hatred. It's an innate hatred bred out of self-interest. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not always like to a person that's acting in their self-interest. Sometimes they're acting against it because they've just been innately bred into it. But racism as a phenomenon bigotry as a phenomenon comes about from the self-interest of powerful people um and that you know really just underscores it one more time by may 1866 1200 citizens of georgia had received special pardons from the president under the twenty thousand dollar exemption clause and as early as 1865 and 1866 there was evidence in georgia a transition of leadership from the old landed aristocracy to the new commercial class in june james johnson a lawyer of columbus was appointed provisional governor of georgia instead of joshua hill who had been strongly urged and had urged himself Former Governor Brown had summoned the state legislature, acting on the assumption that the state was already restored. The state legislature was prevented from assembling by military order, and Brown resigned the the governorship. He had, however, great influence with Andrew Johnson, which is always a good thing. Always a great sign. Oh, yeah. Um, And may have been one of the influences that changed Johnson from severe to moderate measures towards rebels. That's nice. That's good. Thank you. Thank you, Andy J. Governor Brown. Governor Brown Governor and Andy Brown. J. Team it up again. Yeah. Elections of the convention were held in October 1865. Nearly 300 delegates assembled at Milledgeville, of whom the great majority were insignificant men. They were a conservative body, unprogressive, mostly old men and rising politicians. So basically the current Republican Party, it sounds like. <laughs> so. I see what you did there. <laughs> Uh, This convention repealed, but refused to nullify the Ordinance of Secession and abolished slavery with the proviso that this acquiescence in the action of the government of the United States is not intended to operate as a relinquishment, waiver, or estoppel of such claim for compensation or loss sustained by reason of the emancipation of his slaves, as any citizen of Georgia may hereafter make upon the justice and magnanimity of the government. The convention, yeah, so basically they're saying that uh, uh, it's totally valid that we need to be paid for slaves. You need to pay our our slave Mm -hmm. reparation. We'll take the the abolition, but you got to compensate us. Um, Again, super nice of them. Really, really appreciating this chapter. Really making me feel feel good. Feel good and warm inside, About American history, which is something you should definitely feel super good about. Um, The convention adjourned, and in November, election... uh, Bleh. 
cannot read, apparently. And in the November election, C.J. Jenkins was elected governor after Alexander Stevens and former Governor Brown had refused to be candidates. The legislature convened in Milledgeville in December 1865 and elected two leading former Confederates, Alexander Stevens and H.V. Johnson, as senators. Uh, President Johnson wanted Governor Johnson and Joshua Hill greatly... President Johnson wanted Governor Johnson... Oh, comma, and Joshua Hill greatly desired the place. The New York Times regretted that two men had been selected, apparently, because of their prominence in the rebellion. The first work of the legislature was a series of 11 laws which formed the Black Code. Georgia, however, under ex-Governor Brown's advice, was more careful than other states and listened to the storm of criticism against other Black Codes. Oh, they're learning! The, yeah. Let's see how they make them even worse, but more bulletproof. <laughs> That's right. They... Turns out, people get mad. The Black Code contained an apprentice law in the, in, in the usual form, a vagrancy law with heavy penalties, various alterations in the penal laws, and laws about enticing of labor. Civil rights were established for Negroes, giving them the right to testify in courts, but only where colored people were concerned. Every colored child hereafter born was declared the legitimate child of his mother and also of his colored father, if acknowledged by that father. Alexander Stevens suggested extending the franchise to the Negro after he had reached a certain cultural standard and acquired an amount of wealth, but no one paid the slightest attention to this proposal. The 14th Amendment was rejected in 1866 unanimously in both houses. This is just turning out to be a really good state, making mm -hmm. me feel super awesome. Georgia! Um, <laughs> Uh, in the summer of 1867, Toombs suddenly returned from Europe, where he had been hiding. What? He declared, I regret... <laughs> Why? <laughs> where, what were you doing there? I have no idea. Um, we talked about Toombs earlier. I don't remember him going hiding I don't remember Europe. him going underground. Yeah. Uh, he declared, I regret nothing in the past, but the dead and the failure. And I am ready today to use the best means I can to command to establish principles for which I fought. Oh, good. So he's... He's here, it sounds like, to, to stand up for his Confederate oh, principles. Oh, good. That's, good, that's good, good, good. He tremendous. was in that part of Europe. That was where yeah. he was hiding. The Brazil part. Uh, <laughs> the Negro began early to organize. Early began to organize. Meetings were held in Macon and in Savannah, and a particularly large convention was assembled in Augusta in 1866 before the Reconstruction legislation. There were over 100 delegates from 18 counties. James Porter was elected president, and the convention went on record as not asking for universal suffrage, but advocating property and educational tests as qualifications for the right to vote. So, again, this is one of those things where they're looking at, like, you know, they, they need to ask for the world. They've just fought for the world, but they're understandably feeling pretty beat down and afraid to not gain anything. And so they're asking for, you know, timid reforms here. Yeah. Um, of which they're going to be facing vitriol anyway, anyway, which, you know, we know now. Yeah. Um, it appointed a board to look after education of the Negroes within the state and finally formed itself into a body to be called the Equal Rights Association of Georgia. The platform of the association sought to inoculate principles of honesty, industry, and sobriety among Negroes, and a kindly feeling toward former masters. Oh, God, this is not filling me with revolutionary luster. No, here. no, no, this definitely feels, um, this definitely feels dirty. Yeah. Um, Negroes were advised to work hard, to learn to read and write, and to buy homes. There were two, there were two other important resolutions passed. One, that the coast lands held by Negroes were not to be regarded as territories, and that the land was not to be confiscated from its owners. The other, that the Georgia legislature should give equal rights to Negroes before the courts. Another, those are both good asks. Those are both good asks. Good, good asks. Another meeting was held in Macon, March 26, 1867, two months after the Reconstruction Acts. The Macon Telegraph carried a long account of the gathering. The meeting was to be held at the Second Colored Baptist Church, but this was not large enough, and it convened in a grove near Rose Hill Cemetery. Here, a huge platform was erected for the speakers. Federal officials and school teachers, there were speeches by white and colored men, and the procession carried banners. On one banner was the inscription, As we have got to live and vote together in one state, let us be friends. This was followed by another meeting in Savannah. On the platform were ex-Governor Johnson, several army officers, and three colored men. Ex-Governor Johnson was made president. Five resolutions were passed recognizing the powers of Congress, the enfranchisement of colored people, the education of the whole people as of the highest importance, and early registration and election for the convention. 
The last one of these series of meetings was held in Augusta with an attendance of 1,000 people. Again, ex-Governor Johnson was the principal speaker, but the meeting was not quite as harmonious as the former meetings. In other meetings, there had been... there had been evidently a careful attempt to reconcile the desires of the white and colored people, but in this meeting, the wishes of the colored people were more frankly expressed. Oh, how dare they? The resolutions yeah. asked for equal political rights and the abolition of corporal punishment. Seems reasonable. White papers reported that many intelligent colored men disapproved of the spirit of these resolutions, but this was evidently white propaganda. Yeah, I, I would say so. Does Yeah, I was going to say, does that surprise me there? When the military reconstruction of Georgia was ordered by General Pope, Governor Jenkins went to Washington to seek an injunction before the Supreme Court on the part of the state of Georgia against the Secretary of War, General Grant, and General Pope. His petition was dismissed May 13th for want of jurisdiction. Later, the governor returned to Washington carrying the great seal of the state and about 400000 in cash, which disappeared. Oh, okay, cool. Hmm. Uh, he, yeah. He filed a bill of complaint in the Supreme Court against General Grant, General Meade, and others for illegal seizure of the property of the state and again asked for an injunction but was unsuccessful. General Pope gave, <laughs> General Pope gave Negroes the right to serve on juries in August, and in January he was removed by President Johnson and General Meade substituted. In register, so, yeah. So he had two tries to try to push back against black property rights, mm-hmm. and even with a, a hefty vanishing bribe, failed twice. twice. That is excellent. In the registration under the Reconstruction laws, nine hundred ninety-three thousand four hundred fifty-seven Negroes registered and ninety-five thousand two hundred fourteen whites. This meant that the whites were registering in spite of the advice of leading men like Ben Hill. Joseph Brown, on the other hand, counseled the whites not to let the newcomers and Negroes sweep unto victory unopposed, and Brown's advice was evidently followed. Notwithstanding, this 24,000 Negroes were persuaded or intimidated into not voting, and 60,000 whites did not take part. While it is often stated that the great mass of white people were debarred by the Reconstruction Acts, it is notable in Georgia that the average vote before the war was 102,000, while the registration of whites was 95,000. Those, thus, those debarred from registering were estimated at between 7 and 10,000. The convention. And that's that's assuming no deaths from the war, which yeah. you know those had plenty too. For so, sure. Yeah, I mean it's obviously bullshit. Very well pointed out by the voice there. The convention met in Atlanta on December 9, eighteen sixty seven, and sat until the middle of March, eighteen sixty eight. Of the hundred and sixty nine delegates to the convention, thirty seven were Negroes, nine were white carpetbaggers, and twelve conservative whites. The great majority then were native whites. I'm putting this quotes around native because no. <laughs> this convention, therefore, was not controlled by carpetbaggers and Negroes, but by native whites. A reporter of the Savannah News, December 14, 1867, declared that the Negroes in the convention appeared well-dressed and well-behaved, with few exceptions. The convention was interested in suffrage, qualifications for office-holding, relief, and a liberal constitution. In these matters, Negroes took active part in the discussion and were used their political privilege intelligently and with caution. Among the most capable colored members of this meeting were Aaron A. Bradley, Tunis George Campbell, J.B. Costin, and Henry McNeil Turner. Bradley was a fighter and attacked both Democrats and Republicans when they tried to coerce the Negroes. He was therefore given much publicity as a dangerous and undesirable Negro who would cause trouble. Of course. Yeah. Bradley had a colorful and eventful career and was a man of great eloquence, and the Negroes could not be made to lose confidence in him. He attacked racial discrimination on public carriers and requested the the general in command to have the jails and prisons examined so as to release persons unlawfully deprived of their liberties. Bradley left the convention because of charges that he had deceived Negroes on an island off the coast of Savannah. As a matter of fact, he was trying to protect their land, and they had so much confidence in him that they sent him back as senator in 1888. So, again, you know, vicious attacks to undermine Bradley because Bradley was doing a good job. Yeah. And, And... and we see this now, right? Like, you know, the oppressed masses, they're, they're both sets of people are fighting for their own self-gain, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're an oppressor, the way to gain is to have a greater majority of people more deeply oppressed. Whereas when you're the oppressed person, the way to gain is to gain humanity, gain equality. And so you see one side fighting to beat the other side down to remain as oppressors, and the other side is aiming for equality is aiming for their own humanity. Um, and we see this time and time and time again. Turner was the most prominent of the Negroes. He was born in South Carolina in 1833 and was appointed chaplain in the army by president Lincoln. 
He was a preacher in the African M.E. Church, of which he eventually became bishop. In 1865, he was appointed to the Freeman's Bureau in Georgia. He traveled over the whole state, and when he became part of the Republican organization in 1867, was well known for his speeches in all parts of Georgia. Turner was not liked by the whites. The Atlanta Intelligencer called him an unscrupulous fellow, shrewd enough to deceive the poor, deluded Negro. He had to withstand all sorts of attempts to involve him in the difficulties. He had... He said that the whites accused him of every crime in the catalog of villainy. I have even been arrested and tried on the wildest and most groundless accusations uh, ever distilled the labor. <laughs> let me reread that sentence because it's, it's a banger and I just suddenly can't read it. I have even been arrested and tried on the wildest and most groundless accusations ever distilled from the laboratory of hell. <laughs> he was acquitted, however, in every case. Turner, nevertheless, sought to win the confidence of the conservatives. He tried to prevent the sale of property on which owners were unable to pay taxes, and he introduced a resolution for the relief of banks. Both of these passed the convention. He desired civil rights, but did not wish the downfall of the aristocracy. Oh, Mr. Turner! Oh, no. Yeah. Um, there was enthusiasm in his efforts to secure pardon for Jefferson Not Davis. Not two-time Daytona champion. No. Oh, yes. No, Mr. Turner. Goodness. Saying so. He tried to secure internal improvements by state action rather than by private companies. All right. As a member of the education committee, he sought to insert provisions that five years after the common school system had come into full operation. No person on becoming 21 years of age should vote unless he possessed an educational qualification. Okay. Another Negro leader. This guy's all over the yeah. map. He's got like two good He's- things going for him and then everything else kind of seems like a garbage policy. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, also you see what he's going through just for those two good things, and just for oh being yeah, no, no, like, he's getting it, he's getting it from all know. sides just for having two good. That's what I'm saying. Like if, yeah. if you're gonna get if you're gonna get it, at least go all in. Like, come on, you don't need to make oh, you don't sure. need to go half measures. They're already coming for you with both barrels. Oh sure, but you also see, you know, once again how deeply ingrained and important to these people white supremacy is, um, because they they cannot give an inch. No. They're full on super attack mode for that. Uh, another Negro leader was Tunis Campbell. He was born in Massachusetts and came south as an agent of the Freedmen's Bureau. He first established himself on an island off the coast of Savannah, where he established his own government, and armed force was necessary to remove him. I like this guy. I think I like this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he then went to Darien, where he acquired wide control over the Negroes and virtually ruled them. In the Constitutional Convention, he was particularly interested in relief, seeking unsuccessfully to abolish the imprisonment for debt. Again, All right. I like this guy. All right. So far, so good. Yeah, this is good. It's good. Uh, The convention prohibited slavery, established a single citizenship without discrimination, and gave the right to vote to all males born or naturalized in the United States and resident in Georgia six months. In laying down qualifications for voters, it was said especially that all votes should be eligible to office. This stipulation was afterwards stricken out by an almost unanimous vote on the ground that it was unnecessary. This was probably a trick engineered by ex-Governor Brown for election purposes and was the basis of the subsequent expulsion of colored men from the legislature. So, again, dishonest, right? Oh, it's just not ne- – why would you need to do that? It's yeah. not necessary. Of course they'd be – yeah, no. They, you, if you don't explicitly protect it, they come after it. They're just looking for weaknesses like raptors at a fence. Um, I was about to say, I was like, wait, that's not a saying? No one says that. (laughs) Making random Jurassic Park references now. Uh, In the Constitution, a general system of education free to all children of the state was provided. There was no attempt to disqualify Confederates for office beyond the demands of the Reconstruction Acts. The convention devoted much of its efforts at first towards relief from taxes, foreclosures, executions for... Executions executions for debt? Holy cow! Shit! Fuck. I had to reread that twice. What the hell? And it's that maybe I hope they're saying they're they're devoting a lot of his efforts to stopping. You know, I assume for that. that because, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, on April twentieth, eighteen sixty eight, the Constitution was ad- adopted by a majority of seventeen thousand six hundred ninety nine votes, and Rufus B. Bullock was elected governor. Bullock is usually classed as a carpetbagger, but he had lived in Georgia before the war and served as an officer in the Confederate Army. Wolf. So okay, so so the dirty outside agitators from the north <laughs> are also Confederate Army <laughs> officers <laughs> who lived there before the war. Uh, 
who lived there before the war. Uh, in the election of 1868, the Democratic conservatives attacked the Constitution because they claimed that it established social, political, and educational equality of whites and blacks, and that it would result in deprecation of property and a fearful increase of taxation. So they're explicitly saying, like, oh, no, we're not cool with this Constitution because it makes us equal. it's making people equal. Yeah, that's we not We can't cool. have that social equality that we keep talking about as, yeah. a, as a clear whistle. Uh, they declared it was framed by adventurers, convicts, and ignorant Negroes. Nothing like going after the uh, capital C criminal yeah. in the United States. Yeah, very good. Uh, both parties appealed to po- the poor whites, the conservatives through racial prejudice, and the Republicans by class prejudice. One of the latter appeals was, be a man. Let the slaveholding aristocracy no longer rule you. Vote for a constitution which educates your children free of charge, relieves the poor debtor from his rich creditor, allows a liberal homestead for your families, and more and more than all, places you on a level with those who used to boast that for every slave, they're entitled to three-fifths of a vote in congressional representation. Ponder this well before you vote. I'm I'm I like good that. with that appeal. I like yeah, that. I'm about that's to say, a that's, that's rich right there. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the result of the election was mixed, but the conservative Democrats had 17 of the 44 members of the Senate and 88 of the 170 members of the House. There was evidence of fraud and intimidation of the Negroes in many counties where the Negroes were in the majority, and the electoral vote of the state was given to Seymour. In this legislature, three Negroes were elected to the Senate and 29 to the House. Bullock was installed as governor June 28th, but he complained to the military commander that many men ineligible to office under the 14th Amendment were seated in the legislature. The legislature investigated, but finally found none ineligible. The 14th Amendment was ratified July 21st. Georgia was duly restored to the Union and by the ominous bill. Oh, restored to the Union by the omnibus bill. Which <laughs> I thought it said ominous bill, and I was like, that's a title. Bill. Passed by Congress, June 25th, 1868. Military authority was withdrawn. Seven congressmen from Georgia were seated in the House, but senators were elected too late to take their seats before Congress adjourned. Just Just as as soon as the congressional power was withdrawn, the Georgia legislature turned upon its Negro members, of whom there were three in the Senate and 29 in the House. Their presence was an offense. Oh, God. Former Governor Brown had maintained during the campaign that Negroes were not eligible to office and that the conservatives immediately took up the question, citing ex-Governor Brown's opinion and asking investigation led by Milton. Now, you see this. This is its age old demagoguery. This is uh, January 6th type stuff. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, former Governor Brown had maintained during the campaign that Negroes are not eligible to office. They took it up. Led by Milton Candler, a white Democratic senator, a movement was started to declare that since Negroes were not citizens, they could not hold office. There was long and heated discussion. Bradley, one of the black senators, argued forcibly and ably in the Senate on the Negroes' eligibility. And after his speech, it was moved that Candler's resolution be expunged from the minutes. Oh, dang, they got him erased. That's nice. Later, Bradley's own eligibility to his seat was attacked because of an alleged previous criminal convention in New York. A majority of the God special dang. committee, all white men, sustained the accusation, but a minority declared that the evidence was incomplete. Nevertheless, Bradley was not allowed to defend himself and resigned. Thereupon, in September, the effort was continued to declare Campbell and Wallace, the other two colored senators, ineligible. The Negroes were given one hour for defense. After vigorous debate, the three colored senators were expelled by a vote of 24 to 11. Look, a committee of all white people got uh, all the black people kicked out of their legislature. This seems like it goes well. with dirty, nasty tactics. Yeah, exactly. Previous criminal conviction in New York. What, like, they won't even say what it is. I... Yeah, it's it's insane. Just scandal. It's it's it's, it's just it's scandal, corruption. The idea. It's corruption. Yeah. Harumph. Corruption. Harumph. <sighs> the following protest was sent in by Wallace and Campbell. We claim to be the legally elected representatives of a very large portion of nearly one half of the legal electors of the state of Georgia. Sirs, the Constitution and laws of Georgia strictly provide that no law shall be made or enforced which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States or of this state or deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of its laws. Therefore, in behalf of ourselves, our constituents, and also in behalf of nearly 500,000 loyal citizens of this state, we do enter our 
solemn, pro- solemn protest against the illegal, unconstitutional, unjust, and oppressive actions of this body based on the resolutions of the senator from the 35th Senatorial District declaring us ineligible on account of color. In the House, the resolution was introduced in August and passed in September by a vote of 83 to 23. The Negroes refused to vote. Four of the colored members who were so white that their Negro blood could not be proven were permitted to remain. They were Beard, Belcher, Davis, and Fial. Turner made an elaborate defense of the right of Negroes to hold office. Cases may be found where white men have been deprived where cases may be found where men have been deprived of their rights for crimes and misdemeanors. But it has remained for the state of Georgia at the very heart of the 19th century to call a man before the bar and there were charge him with an act for which he is no more responsible than for his head, which he carries upon his shoulders. The Anglo-Saxon race, sir, is a most surprising one. No man has ever been more deceived in that race than I have been for the last three weeks. I was not aware that there was in the character of that race so much cowardice or so much pusillanimity. You know what? I, that is probably a solid dig, so I'm going to look up that word, whatever the hell it is. I know pusillanimous is like, we kind of, me, 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 me. Like, it, I, I think it's actually one of the pusillanimous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah basically yeah. being a coward. Yeah, being coward weak. I I think, and correct me if I'm wrong. The uh, the misogynistic like insult. I I think it originally derived from this. Oh really? Yeah, calling someone calling someone a uh, mm-hmm, 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 yeah, we all okay. know. Uh, it, it actually derived. It started from this one because again, it would shorten itself naturally. Um, and it and it makes more. It makes a lot more sense because it is literally calling someone a coward. Um, hmm. so yeah, just a. I, I've seen it ballied around that that's that's hmm. obviously context changes throughout history and what you know what people refer to it as yeah is, is but that would also apply so. etymology where you would go from pusillanimous to misogynistic jab for coward to vulgarity for a, a body part in that order that's very yeah. interesting I don't know it's interesting. Uh, the more you know about things that Nathan's just kind of pulling out of his ass a little bit, but he thinks he heard one time. Uh, the Negro is here charged with holding office. Why, sir, the Negro never wanted office. I recollect that when we wanted candidates for the Constitutional Convention, we went from door to door in the Negro belt and begged white men to run. Some promised to do so, and yet on the very day of election, many of them first made known their determination not to comply with their promises. They told the black men everywhere that they would rather see them run, and it was this encouragement of the white men indeed that induced the colored man to his place his name on the ticket as a candidate for off for the convention. Blech. In many instances, these white men voted for us. It is very strange if a white man can occupy this on this floor a seat created by colored votes, and a black man cannot do it. Why, gentlemen, is it the most short-sighted reasoning in the world? If Congress has simply given me merely sufficient civil and political rights and made me a political slave for Democrats or anybody else, giving them the opportunity of jumping on my back in order to leap into political power, I do not thank Congress for it. Can we Never can we just take that sentence and like just frame that right there? <laughs> we probably can. Um, but no, it's a, it's a very solid one. It is a it, very it's, solid it's, one. It's very solid Never, so help me God, shall I be a political slave. You have all the elements of superiority upon your side. You have our money, you have you have uh you have our money and your own, you have our education and your own, and you have our land and your own too. We who number hundreds of thousands in Georgia, including our wives and families, will not a foot of land to call our own. Strangers in the land of our birth, without money, without education, without aid, without a roof to cover us while we live, nor sufficient clay to cover us when we die. It is extraordinary that a race such as yours, professing gallantry, chivalry, education, and superiority, living in a land where ringing chimes call child and sire to the church of God, a land where Bibles are read and gospels, truths are spoken. Spoken, and where courts of justice are presumed to exist, it is extraordinary, I say, that with all those advantages on your side, you can make war upon the poor, defenseless black man. Whoo! That is solid. Oh, that was solid as a rock, baby. That, the, spe- yeah. the speech was not printed in the minutes of the legislature, but was issued as a pamphlet in Augusta the same year. Don't like that it wasn't in the minutes, but do like that it was a pamphlet. Everyone loves a good pamphlet. <laughs> 
In September 1868, the legislature declared all colored members ineligible, and then it proceeded to put their in their seats the persons who had received the next largest number of votes. Oh, that's that's always going that's to be good. fair, and yeah. Um, the outrage of the Ku Klux Klan on Negroes and whites became widespread. Bullock protested and appealed to Congress, citing that members of the legislature had not all taken the test oath. Bullock's letter was accompanied by the memorial of the Convention of Colored People held in Macon in October. The Republicans brought the case to the state Supreme Court in June 1869. Uh, two of the three judges decided that the Negroes were eligible. Immediately, there came a question as to whether this decision affected the legislature. Alexander Stevens and many others thought it did not. So what? <laughs> they brought a decision to the Supreme Court that if these two elected uh, senators were in, f- or I'm sorry, two elected legislatures were in fact legislatures, and the Supreme Court said, yes, they are, and people went, I don't know if this affects the legislature. Like, that, just, Jesus Christ. Um, yep. Negroes immediately began a movement to reseat their members. A closed convention was held at Macon with 136 delegates, many of whom walked from 10 to 40 miles to attend the meeting. The Constitution said that there were venomous and incendiary speeches. The uh, Constitution, not not the, the document, a paper. No, um, it's, a, it's a paper. Yeah, a newspaper. Uh, but these largely unlettered men went about to do their work of recovery of their rep- privileges in extraordinary practical ways. 82 counties were represented and Turner presided. Reports of outrages and conditions were brought together and sent to Congress. Turner and Sims went to carry the report and relate their hardships before the Committee on Reconstruction. There was a disposition in Georgia to stand firm and not to reseat the Negroes. Several papers advised the Assembly to persist in the attitude which had adopted and to reseat the Negroes only under compulsion. In spite of such advice, Nelson Tift, Democratic representative-elect to Congress from the 2nd District, had pledged certain parties in Washington that Georgia would reseat the colored members and ratify the 15th Amendment if Congress would not interfere. This rumored rumor ruined Tift's chance for a seat in Congress. Oh, isn't that nice that, that, that you were just, <laughs> your political career is destroyed by not being sufficiently dirty and racist uh, yeah, for no, the Democrats? That, that for the Democrats said that they had not granted him such power and would never do so. It's all about big, no big government, no no stepping outside your bounds, my friend. This is not democratic to, to not unseat these black people. Um, for they did not atten- intend to reseat the Negroes unless Congress should use force. Joshua Hill, one of the senators elected by the Georgia legislature in July, presented his credentials to the United States Senate December 7, 1868. It was recommended that Hill be not admitted on the ground that Georgia had failed to comply with the Omnibus Act. In the House of Representatives, the Committee on Reconstruction was instructed to examine public affairs in Georgia. They took testimony during January 1869, hearing Governor Bullock, James Sims, a colored preacher, H.M. Turner, and others. The lawlessness in the treatment of blacks was emphasized, there being 260 cases of outrages between January and November. That's a lot. That's a few. Uh, that's, that's basically one for each day in that time span. Um, meantime, there was a grave question as to whether George's vote could be cast in the presidential election of 1868. It was finally decided... <laughs> yeah. It was finally decided that if George's vote did not affect the result, the final vote should be announced in two ways, with and without the vote of Georgia. On a technicality, the members of the lower house who had already been representing Georgia were excluded, as not entitled to sit in the 41st Congress. Several bills concerning Georgia were introduced in Congress. Finally, in March 1869, when Georgia refused to ratify the 15th Amendment, a bill was passed making the ratification of the 15th Amendment necessary before Georgia was admitted. The testimony as to the lawlessness in Georgia helped the passage of this bill, which became law December 27, 1869. Georgia thus came again under military authority, and all persons elected to the legislature were called to meet in a special session by General Meade. A legislature convened January 10th, and the test oath was administered under military supervision. I think that's the right way to handle this bullshit, honestly. Yep, I tend to agree. The legislature ratified the 14th and 15th Amendments and not only recognized the 24 colored members, but paid them for lost time. There was thus a... 
Yeah. There was thus a double expense for the salary of the member that year, since both sets of members were paid, and the white members on the motion of a colored senator. There was a question as to how long members of the legislature, originally elected in 1869, but stopped by the expulsion of colored members, should hold office, and many attempts were made to bribe members of the legislature to secure their votes for and against prolonging their terms. Again, just dirty, dirty games. Uh, Georgia members were admitted to the third session in the 41st Congress, and Georgia entered her third and final stage of Reconstruction. I did... God, it's been so long since we read certain things that I forgot there were stages to Reconstruction. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, January 10th, 1860, the one colored congressman from Georgia, Jefferson Long, opposed removing Confederate disabilities. Speaking in the House, he said February 1st, 1871, what do those men say? Before their disabilities are removed, they say, we will remain quiet until all of our disabilities are removed, and then we shall again take the lead. Why, Mr. Speaker, in my state since emancipation, there have been over 500 loyal men shot down by the disloyal men there, and not one of those who took part in committing those outrages has ever been brought to justice. Do we then really oppose here today when the country is not ready for it? When those disloyal people still hate this government, when loyal men dare not carry the stars and stripes through our streets, for if they do, they will be turned out of employment to, re- to relieve from fi- political disability the very men who have committed these Ku Klux outrages, I think that I am doing my duty to my constituents and my country when I vote against any mu- such proposition, to which I, I strong agree. So good, good hard, going, Jefferson Long. Don't let people that just did a revolution back in. Yeah. Uh, The parties in Georgia were now three. The conservatives who represented the former planters, the scalawags and carpetbaggers, or (laughs) radicals who stood together as a commercial capitalistic group, and a moderate group who held the balance of power. The legislature of 1868 was evenly divided between conservatives and radicals in the Senate, but the House had a majority of the conservatives, and after the exclusion of colored members, the conservatives had a majority, both 25 to 19 in the Senate and 127 to 48 in the House. When the legislature was reorganized in 1870, the radicals had a majority in both houses, 27 to 17 in the Senate and 87 to 83 in the House. In the election of 1871, the moderates threw their power to the conservatives, and the combination gained two-thirds of the seat. Thanks a lot, moderates. Good work, <sighs> moderates. Always fucking it fucking up. moderates. Negroes uh, in the Georgia legislature introduced a numbers of bills. Senator Campbell not only introduced bills for education, but on the jury system in regard to churches concerning the city government of Savannah and of Reedville, on pleading and practice in the courts, and on better government of cities and towns. Most of these were reported back by the various committees with recommendations that they pass. The number of Negro members was reduced to 26 by the death of Representative Lumpkin of Macon County. He had spoken little, but his vote could be counted on and was always for worthy bills. Although several of the members of the General Assembly 1868 to 1870 had died, in no case was the resolution of eulogy so pronounced as that of concerning Lumpkin. We cheerfully record our appreciation of his modest worth, his integrity as a man, a citizen, and a representative. Turner introduced the following bills. To establish a state police, to secure chaplains for convicts, to enforce an act of donating lands to the Georgia State Orphans Home, to amend the Constitution of Georgia so as to enable females to vote, to appropriate mm. the state capital and the governor's mansion to Milledgeville to, to educational purposes, to repeal an act to amend the several acts now in force regulating the fees of magistrates and constables in the state of Georgia, so far as it relates to the counties of Bibb, Richmond, Monroe, and Lee, and to provide for the mode of collecting the same approved January 20th. 22nd, 1852, and the several acts amendatory thereof, and to prescribe the costs in insolvent cases due to magistrates and constables in this state, to add an additional section to the Ninth Division of the Penal Code, also a bill declaring certain persons husband and wife. That's a very boring list of random bills that no one will ever remember, probably. Well, uh, I'm yeah, really concerned no, about there's... the bill declaring certain persons husband and wife. <laughs> it's not clear what that means. I don't um, know what he's talking. Like, uh, there's just a bill down that says you're married. Yeah, oh, like, oh, yes, sir. Are these people trying to be husbands and wife, and they're like barred from marriage from the state, or are they just you know being is this forced that fiance? way? Who knows? Yeah, is it is it just like you live together too long, your husband and wife, or something? Um, I don't know. But again, very that is a weirder list. But this this feels very early Sumner, like before. 
and this is actually later on and from an actual black man um, in Turner, but it feels very much like when Sumner was in that kind of free market, but super feisty pro-civil rights stage before the war broke out and he had a lot of, you know, talks with Thad Dad and became a little more materialist about things. Um, God, where let's you, hope. You get this this mixed bag, uh, but there's some super radical good things in there. And the the one that really stuck out to me was, you know, he was pushing for women's right to vote in all this. They're, they're yes. fighting for their, their lives against white supremacy and fighting for their own votes and representation in a very, very racist state while the Ku Klux Klan is, is you know, um, steaming up right after a civil war. And he's like, you know, who else should vote? Women. <laughs> I also liked uh, appropriating the state capital and the governor's mansion for educational purposes. Yes, I like that one a lot, too. That's that's pretty good. That was fun. <laughs> uh, Turner's resolution extending sympathy to the inhabitants of Richmond, Virginia, who had just suffered a terrible disaster, was adopted by the House. That's good. The Negroes of the General Assembly seem to have a special interest in correcting the methods of maintaining and managing the penitentiary of this state. Representative Turner offered several resolutions for the reform in the system. The penitentiary system began to characterize the whole South. In Georgia, at the outbreak of the Civil War, there were about 200 white felons confined at Milledgeville. There were no Negro convicts, since under the discipline of slavery, Negroes were punished on the plantation. The white convicts were released to fight in the Confederate armies. The whole criminal system came to be used as a method of keeping Negroes at work and intimidating them. Some things never change. Mm Mm-hmm. Consequently, there began to be a demand for jails and penitentiaries beyond the natural demand due to the rise of crime. Hmm. Hmm. Federal offices began the custom of leasing the convicts to private persons for work. Ho oh, it's here, guys. It's here. Mm-hmm. The system was extended by Bullock, who leased 500 victims to a firm of contractors. The legislature of 1871 confirmed this lease, and in 1876, the Democrats hastened to order a 20-year lease of convicts, which began the horrible system of convict leasing and gave the state a profit in crime, not to mention the vast profits which came to the private contractors. There she blows. It's here. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, often we'll make snarky remarks about origin stories just because there's yes, comic book movies that like to, to make that a thing. But um, it's still, it's, it's a fun term to use about dire realities. And uh, this is a dire reality. And uh, to use the fun term, this is the origin story of so many things that we know about modern prison. You know, I mean, we knew this was something that the current prison industrial complex rose from you know slave wranglers and from ways to address you know the fact that slaves were free and and send them back to to penal work and we've talked about that in previous chapters we knew to some degree that going in but this is really spelling it out concretely georgia is is a a just a very important example of this uh to the point where we've read a lot of book and obviously this whole book is important but it just because of this last section, if there was one chapter, I would say, for someone to read from this book, it's this chapter. It definitely it definitely is up there. Um, there's so many good chapters. You forget you forget how many bangers there were early on. Yeah, especially it's, when been a, it's, it's, it's an important work. It's an important work. There's a lot going on here. Um, federal officials began the custom of leasing. Oh, uh, yeah, we got there. Naturally, then, the colored members of the legislature, even before the system was settled, were interested in securing better conditions for convicts. Senator George Wallace and Representative James Sims served on a joint committee from the Senate and the House, respectively, to ascertain the number of inmates and how they were treated. Peter O'Neill offered a bill for the abolish- abolishment of the penitentiary system. Like in As Peter result- O'Neill. Huh? Liking Peter O'Neill right now. Liking Peter O'Neill, Abol- yeah, abolish prisons is too much. Defund the police is too much. Man, we were all, we were trying it in 1870. Yeah, like it's been around. As a result of this movement, the changes were made in the drastic methods used to punish convicts. This amelioration led to the issuing of many pardons, for which the Bullock administration was severely criticized. Of course, they were. Mm-hmm. The most energetic Negro on the Standing Committee on the Penitentiary Investigation was J.M. Sims of Chatham County. He had spoken only twice in 1868. On his return to the General Assembly in 1870, Sims offered many bills. And and guys, we, we know that he offered many bills, and we're going to read about those bills next time on Mark's Madness, because we oh. have reached the end of the chat. We're not going to skip them. You thought I was going to skip them. I was wondering no. where you were going. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't going I think, there. I was going to okay, the but I think we will reread that last sentence because it kind of intros the large list of yes. bills when we start next time. Yes, so. yes, yes, yes. 
There will be another list of bills, and we'll, we'll be excited about them. Uh, but that's for next week's Nathan and David to worry about. This week's Nathan and David are going to sleep. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what David's doing. I can only speak for myself. That being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. Uh, there are a number of ways that you can contact us. If you would like to contact us via the email, you can do that. It's Mark's Madness Pod at gmail.com. Uh, if you wanted to contact us on Twitter, the hell site, you know, we're all there. Uh, you can do that. We're at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. Uh, let's say you would like to communicate with us in a place where you can dunk on my hockey team uh, and make fun of me for losing, uh, getting swept by the bad natural disaster team. You could join Discord, in which half of the Discord had decided that that was a fun activity to take part in. I wasn't happy about it at all, but you know, what am I if not just a gracious leader? I'm joking. Uh, that being said, uh, for real though, join the Discord. It's a great place. Uh, Discord link is in our Twitter bio. Uh, David, disclaim me, sir. Okay, okay. Uh, so obviously, we started this podcast because we were just a couple guys reading a book and um, something important about reading theory, history, anything like that. It's always best done in a group so you can take it in chunks, you can discuss what you've read, you can couch it in context, uh, current events, and life experiences and get the most out of it. Um, hopefully, anytime you're doing any kind of organizing, uh, there's a reading group or political education to go with it that is doing the same thing. And so ever since me and Nathan went, what the hell, let's record this, see if we can make our group bigger than two, and went ahead with it. Uh, we've hoped that whatever reading group you're in, political education group you're in, you're reading these works and you're having discussions in that group. And we can be complimentary. We can add a little more context, a little more background, a little better tie to current events or just more things tied to current events, whatever we can. Um, save for that, say, you know, your political education reading group is reading a shorter work, as is probably the case, um, and you're just reading these books on your own. Hopefully, then, we can be that discussion of that reading group for you. And save for that anytime, say, we're reading something word for word and we kind of get this enhanced ebook type thing, uh, or we summarize works for you. Whatever it is that we can make these works more accessible to you because it's important to get the theory out there and to understand that theory in context so that we can drive that into action and when you put that theory into action it takes works of charity or it takes you sitting on your butt and doing nothing and turns it into you getting off your butt and doing what is called praxis which is theory and action uh, without praxis again those actions are just charity if they're anything at all and with theory they are guided they are revolutionary and they take us to places they can go versus the theory without those actions means nothing they're in separable and they're tied at the hip amen as always until next time this has been mark's madness pod my name is nathan my name's david and we will talk to you all next week bye, bye.